Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mets fans, welcome back to Today, Your Love, Tomorrow, the World Series. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And Chris, we have been doing this show together for, uh, I think it's something like seven or eight years now, which is insane. But for most of those seven or eight years, as well as most of our lives, as well as most of the Mets' um, history, the Mets won on opening day. So, happy day after opening day. Um, do you do you ever feel confident on opening day? Or are, are, are we such Mets fans that we are still... Uh, we still have doubts even on their most successful day historically. I have opening day confidence. I, I'm very comfortable with it. They, uh, it's just something that makes no sense and you can't really attribute it to anything. I don't think the Mets are particularly uh, adept at setting their roster and lineup for one game of the year, but it is a fun thing that they're the best at it and, uh, it's not even really particularly close. So I tend to go into it with uh, an optimistic feel, which is good. It would be very, uh, I don't know, unenjoyable if they were the worst team ever on opening day yeah. and, uh, and and set expectations accordingly. But it's, it's nice, um, even with this tiny sliver of the season behind them, uh, as is the case every year. It is nice to have a share of first place, uh, even now. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, there, there are a lot of things that will happen over the course of the year that will make us all go crazy and will be very, very frustrating. But there's something about just being, uh, you know, knowing at the end of opening day that all right, we we did it again. We're off to a good start. And I think yesterday it especially felt cathartic to win because of what happened right before the game. We should get right into that, which is it was announced that Justin Verlander was starting the season on the IL. Um, I It's funny. I, I had been doing Amazing Avenue stuff, uh, Home Run Applesauce stuff like all morning, and then I had, I, I had to run out of the house to do a couple of things. And as soon as I got out of the house, I saw a Verlander like tweet from a friend. Some, I but I was like, you know, what? I have I have to put my nose down and get the stuff done. I have to get done. I have to get back, but back for opening day, and so I didn't see it for like forty five minutes. And going back on my timeline, 
it was like watching people do the stages of grief in real time because <laughs> I just I got to see it all from a little bit of a distance, and it was you know I, I think people were obviously very upset and very concerned, and th- at the end of it, people were like, "Huh, oh, it'll be all right," and you know you never know with an injury to a forty-year-old pitcher what the result's going to be. Um, it is a low-grade strain of the Terrace Major. Which, if you knew what that was before yesterday, congratulations. You know more about the human anatomy than I do. But, uh, you know, Verlander was was very clear that he feels this is minor, that he would work through this if it was later in the season and there was a, a season on the line. And he also um, said that he's going to continue to throw during this. That's the part that I am a little bit... I don't want to say uncomfortable about because honestly, I don't. Um, I don't. I don't want to say I'm a doctor because I'm not. <laughs> but if you're trying to give your older pitcher some some time to recoup from a minor injury, I I would feel better if he was just shut down for a week even, and then let him ramp back up. Um, but anyway, that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. How do you feel about this injury? How do you feel about the fact that he'll be throwing throughout? I'm with you on the continuation of throwing. It just doesn't seem to make too much sense. Uh, I am not a doctor like you and just about everybody else who heard (laughs) that news yesterday. I didn't know exactly what that body part was. Uh, When it, you know, when you look at it on the diagram, it's like, oh, maybe I've heard that before myself. I don't know. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, at the risk of being a little too cautiously optimistic, um, I just, I guess, similar to how I would treat something with Scherzer, I want to trust the veteran pitcher that he knows, uh, knows his body, came, uh, you know, came to the team with just the fact that it felt a little bit off, got checked out, no major injury was revealed, and. Um, you know, it's far more important that they have Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander healthy in September, October than today. So all of that being said, I want to think that he'll be back uh, maybe just a couple turns through the rotation. And I guess I'm just going to not try to let the other possibilities <laughs> weigh on me too heavily until we get there, right? That That's on brand. It just just kind of waiting until there's actual news uh, to react to it. it. It would help a lot if McGill does his sort of, uh, I think it's become a bit of an annual tradition of looking like an ace in April yes. and ultimately finishing the season with an ERA closer to five than one. But <laughs> Um, maybe he can step in and uh, not do what Verlander is capable of doing, but just keep things afloat and uh, and, and take it from there. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, again, not a doctor on the still throwing part. I'm not sure what the benefit is there. Um, I would assume there's some types of treatment, uh, you know, physical therapy, that kind of a thing that uh, he'd be doing to get back to where he's feeling normal. Um, but 
yeah, I guess let's just hope that between him and the doctors that are directing this plan, that they know what they're doing in allowing him to throw uh, at all. It, yeah, it, it just, uh, you know, I, I've heard this song too many times before, where it's like, everything's fine, he'll be shut down for a week, and then it's, you know, it's two weeks later oh you know it's still not where it should be we're gonna we're gonna transfer him to the 30 day or whatever and then it's august and he's coming off the il for the first time it just right. like that's the way the mets have often operated with these things which is just this this not you know taking it too easy at first and then eventually getting to a place where it's more serious maybe maybe we, we all should have been reacting more seriously the whole time so i'm trying to not fall directly into that old pattern but I do think that shutting him down completely for a week or so would be my choice if I were in charge of this. But again, not a doctor. Um, so you mentioned McGill making the start. You know, McGill had a really great start to his season last year when he was throwing much, much harder than he had been throwing before. That led to an injury, and it led to him being not so great later on in the season, as you mentioned um, you know, th th this is a tough line to walk with McGill because on one hand, you want the player to be as successful as the player can be for you. On the other hand, you cannot expect anybody to um, to put their their safety, their their health at risk for baseball games because that's not, it's not worth it. And I think anyone with a brain would agree with that. So. If McGill is not up to his, you know, April of 2022 uh, stature, the Mets have a couple of options in the minors to help. Uh, one of those options uh, is starting the season on the disabled list. Eliezer Hernandez uh, will not be ready to go at least uh, for a little while. Uh, what was that? The day before the season started? Thir uh, Wednesday that was announced that he was hitting the IL Tuesday, uh, Wednesday so. somewhere, somewhere in, the, in that ballpark um, yeah and uh, it's a strained shoulder I don't believe they gave a real sense of, of how long that was going to take to get healed um, and then we get past him I guess we're looking at maybe Dylan Bundy who the Mets signed since we last recorded to a minor league deal the former Orioles uh, pitcher who um, actually was not terrible for the Angels last year, but you know was certainly not someone who's going to light the world on fire. So my question for you, Chris, is just you know, do, is this the time to go out and make a trade? Is this the time to sign some more depth? Is this the time to take a chance on somebody who maybe wouldn't have been this high on our depth chart? Is it Joey Lucchese season? You know, sort of what do you what do you see as the next move? to make sure the Mets have enough pitching depth to get through the early part of the season. Hmm. Yeah. I Granted, w when it comes to signing Dylan Bundy to a minor league deal, uh, it's not a, it's not the kind of move that's going to drastically change the outcome of what happens to the Mets this year. Uh, and it's not one that I was advocating for in mid February, but by the time we knew that Quintana had an injury, uh, and that wasn't that far into spring training. Um, it just seemed like, hey, maybe some of those guys who are out there on minor league deals uh, and have major league experience with decent track records 
maybe bring them in uh, and have them around because what was concerning to me, and I think I said this last week too, was that uh, one pitcher goes down, okay, you have an option or several options with, uh, you know, McGill, Lucchese, uh, Eliezer Hernandez, although he, you know, it's temporarily unavailable because he started the year on the injured list. Although that's one of those where it's kind of hard to know if that's actually the case or if they just didn't quite want to make him go to Syracuse yet. Uh, right. <laughs> but when you start to get more than one of the pitchers from that group in there, and David Peterson obviously would count as a member of that group. Um, I thought it was interesting how optimistic Lucas was in, in writing up a bold prediction of him um, this week. It just as someone who I, I don't want to say I'm a David Peterson hater or anything, but uh, I would think objectively that if everybody were healthy, that he would be sixth on, on their pitching depth chart, maybe. Right. Um, so look, it, there's an opportunity for these guys to, um, to impress. I do think that the Mets offense, uh, as much as people might've been down on it at the end of last year, because of the wild card series and, and the last couple weeks of the season, uh, objectively is just really good at getting on base. Um, pretty good at scoring runs uh, They, you know, Gary Cohen pointed out on the broadcast yesterday that they had finished fifth in the run scored last year. Um, that's not something that we're typically used to as Mets fans. And, um, they've only had more time to adjust to having a designated hitter on a permanent basis, which I, I think all national league teams probably needed a little bit of time to, to do uh, you know it's easy to say okay we're gonna just rotate guys in and out of the position or whatever but it, the Mets went and got an actual designated hitter uh, <laughs> who's good at hitting but before I go too far off on that tangent I do think <laughs> the combination of uh, a very competent major league lineup that should be in the top tier of scoring again and these types of pitchers can work uh, ideally not on a super long-term basis, but you just hope that there's not one other tweak. Even now, when you look at the rotation, I'm very excited for uh, Sango's first start. Yep. And I I think Carlos Carrasco is probably a little bit underrated, Um, but, but there is that, Little question mark where he missed one scheduled spring training start in a minor league game uh, last Thursday. He made one uh, this Tuesday, I think it was. Uh, so that was an instance where the Mets said, oh, hey, he's he's uh, he's doing some elbow maintenance, right, last week. and then yep. But don't worry, he's going to go out and pitch on Tuesday. And then that did happen. But he, if a third pitcher were to need – somebody to temporarily uh, fill in for them. I, that seems like the logical guy to have to worry about right now uh, just because of that. So, yeah. It, I don't think they're anywhere near um, having the season go off the rails because of these things, but I'd really like to keep it to one uh, depth pitcher in the rotation at any given time. Two's not super comfortable. Three would start to feel like there might be a problem. Uh, and, and we do know that even as uh, 
someone who advocates for very talented players, regardless of how old they may be in baseball years, uh, that the Mets came into the season with an older rotation mm-hmm. on average. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to be too down on any of these guys individually, but I feel like Dylan Bundy, for whatever reason, is the one that would would probably have the best um, the best stretch for the Mets, and that's really just a notch down from what Carrasco is giving you. Uh, steady innings. Uh, he doesn't walk too many guys. Doesn't strike out too many guys. Uh, Carrasco is better in the strikeout category than he is, but. Just somebody who, to use that baseball cliche, you know, keep you in the game, give yep. you a chance to win, uh, that kind of a thing. Um, and I guess my last thought on this group of these depth guys, one thing that I had looked at this year, I thought David Peterson had a lot of meltdowns last year, sort of in the mold of Steven Matz, where you yep. just atrocious starts and then good ones mixed in. But there, there weren't that many super high peaks or that many actual meltdowns. He had a lot of starts where he didn't go deep into the game. Yes. Which is an issue, you know, three innings, three and two thirds, four, four, you know, whatever, fewer than five innings kind of thing. But he really only had one start where he got one out and gave up a bunch of runs. And in my memory, he had done that like five times. So, <laughs> Well, I, it's, it's funny you said that. I had the exact same recollection of David Peterson's 2022 season, and I went through his game logs on Baseball Reference the other day, and what eventually came out was that, oh, no, he just had a lot of really frustrating innings. Like, he would have an inning where he'd walk two people and give up three hits and have two runs scored on him, but the rest of the game he'd be fine. So it wasn't right. – he didn't have these blow-up games. He had these blow-up innings, which would lead to short performances, but it is different than what you and I both remember that being. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, hey, look, he starts tonight in Miami. Uh, I think while they're not anywhere near as bad as the Nationals, the Marlins are not exactly a powerhouse, so it's not a – bad team to get that first real start of the season under your belts and uh, and see where things can go from there. Yeah. Uh, we should also mention that um, earlier this week, the Mets DFA Darren Ruff, which was something I think no one expected them to actually follow through and do. Um, you know, look, trades don't work out sometimes, but this trade spectacularly didn't work out. We've talked about this before. But J.D. Davis basically became J.D. Davis again as soon as the trade happened. They also gave up some pitching depth with it. Again, no one that I think is going to ever really come back to bite the Mets. But uh, Darren Ruff trade was was just a, an atrocious one at the end of uh, at, at the end of the trade deadline where people were expecting big moves, and the big move was Darren Ruff. And I've said this a hundred times before. If you play a hundred half seasons of baseball, Darren Ruff will never have another half season as bad as he had last year. I I, I truly believe that. Uh, but I um I still think this was the right move for the Mets to make, if only because I don't think he'd have ever gotten a fair shake with the fans. I think Ruff would have been booed from day one. And he deserves a chance to make this work someplace else. Now, he was designated for assignment, which means that he may not wind up with the team, uh, whether it was the new team or either. He could take an, uh, a job in Syracuse. I don't think that's going to happen, though. Do you see any way that he winds up in Syracuse? Mm, no. And I think, yeah, like, 
like we've touched on that there was enough there last year with how he uh, played against or hit against lefties specifically that I think somebody will either take him off waivers or uh, you know end up with him on. I mean, he's not even making that much money by major league baseball standards, so. Um, I don't think the Mets will be able to trade him for anything, but I think somebody will take him uh, off their hands. And I would be shocked, given the way things have gone, even if he did clear, he'd have the right to refuse the assignment. Uh, and I'd be shocked if he willingly went to AAA, unless he really thinks that um, the issues he dealt with over the last few months need a little more time to get worked out. Right. Uh, but I think that would be even more surprising than the Mets DFAing him. <laughs> yes. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, if if he winds up going down to AAA, you know, working out his issues and then just mashing lefties, I, I mean, I would love that. That's a, that's a fun way for this story to end. I, it's just I don't think it's how the story is going to end necessarily. So, yeah, opening day happened. You know, it it, it – a lot of times there's big stories that come out of opening day. I don't really think there there was one. Um, Scherzer was probably left in for an inning too long. Uh, one of my Buckshaw Walter pet peeves about him is just that I think he uh, isn't quick enough to to yank somebody sometimes, but that's okay. Uh, the Mets came back and won. You know, um, Pete and Canna didn't look fantastic at the plate. Neither did Escobar from the left-hand side. But, you know, the Mets managed to. They managed to outscore the Marlins. They looked pretty good overall. Brandon Nimmo had a nice double. Um, Daniel Vogelback went first to third and then scored standing up on a on a sack fly. So you know, strange strange things did happen uh, during the game. But overall, I thought it was uh, you know a fun opening day, but one that's uh, kind of unremarkable. Do you do you sort of agree with that? Yeah, and I think if the Mets have a lot of days like that, that's a great season to be having. Uh, Absolutely. It, uh, and this is a point that we make over and over, but you do not want to take for granted that you're going to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat because even the Nationals will probably win 50-something or maybe even 60 games this year. And I know that the Mets don't face them uh, in, in this first eight-game stretch without a day off. Um, but when you're playing those teams you're supposed to beat, every one of those wins is still significant and if you can just take care of business in those scenarios, you can withstand the harder stretches of the uh, of the schedule that you know might come up. Um, I think June this year, and we can we can talk schedule, you know, more as the season goes on. But there are some time, times when it's going to be uh, very uh, challenging for them to to get through the course of a few weeks. So uh, to have a kind of ho hum win that you should win and, and they face Sandy Alcantara like it's not like they <laughs> right right you know it's not like they uh, had who, who what Patrick Corbin started for the Nationals um there's a massive gap between last year's Cy Young winner and and some of the starting pitchers that were thrown out there on opening day on some of the lesser teams around the league um so yeah just doing what you're supposed to do uh, winning that kind of a game and, you know, setting things up where if they win tonight, and, and there's no guarantee that they will, but 
<clears throat> you're looking at being able to win a series. And that was sort of the theme of last year. Uh, they went a very long time without losing one. Uh, and if you win all of your series, you're going to have a 100-win season yeah. uh, or more. Uh, so <laughs> uh, long way to go, but I was uh, perfectly content with the way that game went. And uh, and I do think, without reading too much into it, it was nice that the bullpen was just dominant. Yes. Uh, and the, th- the three innings of reliefs of uh, Scherzer. So, yeah, yeah, here's to beating the Marlins three more times. And uh, <laughs> the Mets have a sort of unique thing coming up where they're, they're part of three separate uh, opening day itself and then a home opener in Milwaukee on Monday and then their own home opener on Thursday. So yeah. lots of ceremonies. Yes, I totally forgot that Monday is is another home. I was looking at the schedule and saying, why is there a 2 o'clock start on a Monday? And it was, oh, yeah. we could, because they're doing three home openers, in uh, three openers in, in a week. So this is what happens. But that's okay. Yeah. That's a fun thing. Um, so, yeah, uh, but that should bring us right to our music p- picks for the week. So, uh, Chris, what are, you, what are you talking about? So in uh, my Tame Impala fandom, uh, coming out of Desert Days last year, uh, where they played Lonerism start to finish, and I think – I had recommended that album years ago on the, on our show. Uh, I was seeking music that was just really similar to that era of Tame Impala. Uh, and I was not familiar with Melody's Echo Chamber yet at all. Uh, but the first record that they had put out, it's really the like the stage name for, as we have the wonderful sounds of construction in New York City behind <laughs> what I'm saying right now. Um, but Melody's Echo Chamber was sort of the, uh, you know, like the, is the band name for uh, Melody Prochet is the, is the artist. Um, and the first record, she collaborated quite a bit with Kevin Parker from Tame Impala in making. Uh, and I, you know, found that it's from like 2012 or 13 and it's really good kind of you know got me interested in her music and she's playing in brooklyn this weekend a couple of sold out shows um unfortunately i'm going to be at one of them so uh, really looking forward to that show and although it was the first record that got me hooked uh i actually think start to finish bon voyage is an album uh, that she had put out in 2018 and it's just this like really good mix of um like the opening track especially it's like a seven minute song and especially as it goes on and kind of jams out a little bit uh for me it has uh some things that make me think of wilco uh who are in the midst of their capital theater residency uh over these next few days and you know to 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 have notes of the style of music that tam impala has made that's my favorite from their catalog uh, and, you know, influences that remind me of Wilco and, and several other bands. Uh, But those two just, you know, are kind of prominent in in sort of how I came to it. Um, Yeah. Bon Voyage kind of encapsulates all of that all at once. So uh, very excited to get to see that show and, uh, and to recommend one of, her records this week and uh you know start with the first one i guess maybe if you haven't heard any of it but 
I think the second is uh, is the best one so far. Um, yeah. All right. I, I will definitely check that out. That's a, uh, an artist I have heard a lot about but have not actually checked out yet, so I will do that. Um, so I, I am a, a big proponent, and longtime listeners will know this, of the Spotify Discover Weekly playlist because they just they take what you listen to and they use their fancy algorithm to figure out new stuff you should hear. And there's stuff that happens a lot of times where you're like, I have no idea how they were able to figure out exactly that this is what I need to hear today, but they did. And one of those things was, so when, when Burt Bacharach died a number of months ago, I just went through and I was, it, that's a name I obviously knew. I, I have the record he did with Elvis Costello, and I'm, I'm aware of many of the pop hits he wrote for uh, Dionne Warwick and others, but I sort of gave myself like a little education in Burt Bacharach music because I didn't realize the extent of his songwriting career, which is insane. That's a topic for another day, though. But so um, on the Discover Weekly a few weeks later, there was a track by an artist named Alejandro Bravo, that was um, a cover of Always Something There to Remind Me, the Burt Bacharach, Hal David song. And it's done with this like acoustic guitar and vocal style that sounds not dissimilar from uh, So Schorge, um, the um, uh, uh, Brazilian singer-songwriter who did a bunch of David Bowie songs for the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou soundtrack. Um, just these like, very sort of minimal acoustic guitar and vocal pieces. And I was like, oh, that that's really cool. And so I checked out the full album, and it's one of these things that is only possible really on this scale in the time in which we live, which is that here's an album that was released in Mexico in, um, I want to say it's 1971. I'm checking that right now. And yeah 71 never really did anything uh, at least on this side of the of the border and went out of print forever and then this year the numero group which is one of the best reissue labels in the world reissued it just digitally not you cannot buy a physical copy of it if you go on discogs you'll see some old mexican press pressings of it that are way too expensive for my blood um but i, I guess it was found because numero group was doing uh they did a compilation record that um was a bunch of famous artists or famous songs rather being done by unknown artists it's called super hits of the 70s and that's very good also but so this record has um a couple of covers on it it has this song i mentioned before and also superstar by the carpenters which is an interesting uh, second cover to have on there but the, the music sounds a lot like sort of um like mid-period Jonathan Richmond when he post-modern lovers pre-singing in Spanish where he's just kind of telling stories and doing fun stuff like a lot of it sounds like that it's it's super fun um and it's something I didn't know I needed to hear I listened to it consistently since then and I actually sent the numero group an email and was like please issue this on vinyl I want this so badly and they said no plans but we'll see maybe if enough of you listen to this and like it and email them they will release it on vinyl so that is my pick Alejandro Bravo's self-titled debut from 1971 so listen to it on your streaming platform of choice or if you happen to find it in a thrift store and it's original Mexican pressing and you want to get it to your favorite podcaster just let me know I'll send you my address Anyway, thank you for listening, folks. We truly appreciate it. Go to homerunapplesauce.com. Join our Patreon. Listen to the other amazing podcasts. We have a new podcast starting next week. Can't wait for you to hear it. It's going to be super, super fun. We are proud to be part of the Fans First Sports Network. Uh, you can always still find our writing on amazingavenue.com. 
Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. And until next time, let's go Mets.